0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence Fixed Income Credit Currency and commodities Strategists and Analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research Team.
1: Welcome to the FIC Focus Podcast, the Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence we go back to the Bloomberg economics side of the house today. And we talk to Anna Wong. She is the new chief US economist for Bloomberg Economics. Anna, thanks very much for coming on the Fic Focus podcast.
2: Yeah, happy to be here.
1: So, Anna, you you know, tell us a little bit about your career progression and you know what how you ended up in Bloomberg economics, and then, you know, and then we'll talk a little bit more about your your views on on uh, on the world.
2: Sure. Um So I spent my career after graduate school uh, for the past decade in the public sector. I started at the Treasury and then um, I went to the Fed, Fed board. And then um, last year I was seconded from the Fed to White House Council of Economic Advisor. And while I was there, you know, this pandemic happened and um, I had the experience of I don't know if I should call it experience or trauma, to be the one who write down the growth GDP growth forecast for Q2 2020. Basically, at the time we we're thinking, well, um, what what would the hit to GDP be if we do not have any stimulus? And you know, at the time, a lot of uh, things that had not never happened before. Uh, happened, and when you have to write down a forecast of a very large negative number, it really does require a lot of uh, <clears throat> imagination and uh, open mindedness. But uh, anyway, that experience made me—I mean, not scarred me, but, but rather it really took me on a new path in on my career because then I thought I just wanted to finish writing this this uh, this story. Um, This forecast story, really. Um, I saw how it all went down in flames, the whole economy. And now I, I wanted to, you know, finish my job as an economist in forecasting the rest of the recovery. And that's why I'm here in Bloomberg.
1: So let, let's talk a little bit about what might have kind of surprised you, you know, after the big downdraft. So obviously we had, you know, a, a huge swaths of the economy closed. We did have the massive fiscal stimulus, which obviously affected, you know, the rates market and, and how much um, debt issuance we were going to have. So we've talked about that, um, you know, quite, um, quite frequently on, on this particular podcast. But But were there anything, particularly in the recovery, that surprised you right so so as things reopened was was the reopening you know faster or slower than you might have anticipated and uh, you know have there been any anything in terms of the maybe the reaction to the fiscal stimulus by the household sector or the business sector that might have surprised you a little bit compared to going into um, the recovery period of over the last year or so
2: yeah, that's a that's a great question, I, and nobody had asked me this question before. But uh, it's it's a definitely a very interesting question. So um, I'll t- I'll bring you back to last year around April April of twenty twenty. Right, so the economy really had shut down for the first time ever, and and we wrote down this very uh, low GDP number, and at the time, some of the debate. Is like in envisioning what will happen to the economy is one, will we have this stop go pattern, like lockdown, reopen, lockdown, reopen, lockdown, reopen? And at the time, that seemed like a terrible uh, uh, vision of the world. Of the future i mean we saw that that was what that was happening in in china then you know china's uh, lockdown reopened but we didn't think that would happen to the us but that is our reality now it turns out is, although with each successive wave of COVID, the marginal impact on the economy indeed is smaller but however we're still in this pattern of like recurrent mute mutations of the virus and then slow down in activity. So I was surprised. So my first surprise was, was how, um, how this pandemic had lingered and that we, it took us quite a while to grow out of it. And the second thing that um, um, I was, we, we were thinking about last year, around the middle of last year, uh, no, not middle of last year. Sorry, it's, it was um, after CARES Act was passed, and we, we were saying even then that well, half of the population is um, have have uh, unemployment insurance that exceed their total income, and in fact, um, the data of household balance sheets shows that personal income has grown so much. Um, You know, and I I also at the time I've access to really detailed credit cards data and also, uh, um, you know, uh, credit bureaus data that shows me uh, data on exactly what consumers and small businesses are doing with their balance sheet. I mean, that's a perk in working in the in the White House during an, an emergency time. Is that like you, you do have like insight into all these really high frequency data just because everybody is trying to help, you know? And so, so at the time, um, I saw that, wow, the household balance sheets looked really good. And uh, normally, because people are using the Great Recession as a benchmark on how to think, project uh, the unemployment impact or the impact of default on their balance sheets of consumers and small businesses. But none of that is happening because um, the moratorium on all these consumer debts and the fact that consumers are forced to not spend. So so they have a chunk of their excess savings due to not being able to spend during that uh, lockdown period. And so the balance sheet going into um, like late last year, was very strong, and it, it, the the default rates was lower than any model predictions that's based on uh, previous data, right? So that sort of information gave me a hint of, you know, coming into this year that this recovery is really strong, would be really strong, but it was still stronger than what I would have thought, even given the the information I had late last year, which is that the balance sheets of both Businesses and you know, you know, and and the consumer is super strong. And the PPP program, obviously, it really worked.
1: Um, so so let, yeah. let's stick, let's dig let's dig into that just a little bit, if we can, Anna. So mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think, and I think maybe this is where you were, were just going. So you're talking about the the PPP program, keeping people employed, and and uh, you know, the basically the government giving money to businesses to to make sure that that you know people didn't didn't lose their paychecks. But you know, but let's talk about this this exit. Savings, because you talk about, you've mentioned several times the consumer balance sheet, right? The household balance sheet mm-hmm. being so strong, and and one of the. Things that I know people on your team, like Andrew Husby, have have noted is how much basically the uh, of of different stimulus payments were actually saved, and and not necessarily saved in in form of you know literally putting the money into the bank account, but a lot of it was used to pay down debt. So when you look at things like consumer credit and and the like, you know there was a lot that was that was um, used used to save down debt. Now, now so so I've so when you're analyzing the economy from this point going forward. You know, do, do you expect the consumer to relever themselves or do you think that it's, you know, you're more likely to have consumer spending that goes up more in line with with income growth as opposed to income growth plus additional leverage? Even even though it's available, have the consumers like learned to be a little bit more cautious in their in their debt spending?
2: Yeah. Ira, so I think it's um again, you 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 asked a really good macro question. That's really a very, very nice question. Um, I think it's a supply and demand question. Uh, supply in the sense of a credit supply issue as well. So last year, when when you know CARES Act came out and was giving a consumer all these uh, moratorium on debt, and you know I, I was uh, talking to these credit bureaus all the time, every week basically, and 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 I was we were wondering would there be an eventual credit rationing? Problem because what happens is if you um, you if you um, take on this moratorium and you don't pay down your debt, I mean I mean I mean I mean you you I mean you stop paying interest on your debt, it it uh, credit bureaus are no longer able to ding you like they wouldn't be able to lower your credit now. So from the point of view of a credit supplier, when suddenly your credit score is no longer kind of reflective of your true capability to pay what now why would they like I mean economically intuitively thinking I'm, I was just thinking why would they continue to supply you credit and and in, indeed later on it's it's shown that like credit card applications has uh, gone down credit card balance of consumers have gone down now it's still unclear to me whether this is um, due to forced savings that they couldn't spend, but I think that there is a like i mean just intuitively thinking I wouldn't think that credit card agencies would be dying to uh, allow consumers to leverage themselves up just because like it's hard the the, the usual gauge of your credit um uh rating. Is no longer as accurate as pre-pandemic, so that's just from a supply perspective. Now, on the demand, on on how does this excess savings, which we uh, estimate to be around two trillion dollars, ten about ten percent of U.S. GDP, how is it going to <clears throat> deplete, or um, you know, how how is that going to affect consumer spending? So this tr- two trillion dollars does kind of discipline our uh, forecast for the PCE component in the GDP. In fact, we are uh, in the uh, current round of updating our Q3, Q4 and long-term GDP forecast and, and working on that. So how, how that comes into the con- consumer for- con- consumption forecast is this. Now, in the past couple of months, we have softer than expected um, retails uh, spending, Right. And consumer confidence index is going down. And then so so you, uh, uh, one obvious question is, is this, you know, the beginning of a softening of um, cons- con- cons- consumption spending, which drives, what, 70 percent of the U.S. GDP. But this um, if we but if we think that there's two trillion of savings waiting to be depleted then that really discipline our forecast going forward. So sort of in, in the model that a very like uh, simple, super simple model for our forecast is like we have to impose the condition that this cumulative stock of saving would be running down to a certain like maybe half of what it was in two years or something. So that kind of forces, um, you know, consumer to spend a lot, a lot uh, to spend. So that's why we do have a rather, you know, optimistic way a uh, forecast for uh, PCE, the consumption spending going forward. And that's why yesterday when I looked at the dot plot and I saw that even though the uh, FOMC participant um, slashed the GDP forecast for 2021, they really put in a lot of um, payback for growth in 2022 and i think that
1: is the driving factor there. so that that's a absolute perfect pivot to i think how we'll end our discussion and and that's to talk a little bit about the federal reserve and and obviously we're speaking on the 23rd of september and and the the had a fed meeting with uh chair powell's press conference afterward and and you know the statement wasn't changed the the statement kind of minor amendments weren't that surprising. And in fact, when you saw the market reaction right after two o'clock, you didn't see very much movement. Like people were making a big deal about the curve flattening a little bit and things like that in the treasury market. But it was like one basis point. It wasn't, it wasn't a major reaction, but as chair Powell spoke, there was a much, um, a much bigger reaction, some curve flattening, you know, certainly the, the three and five year sector started to sell off on the anticipation that maybe there actually will be a 2022 hike. Um, yeah. Um, and obviously, the dot plot, like you mentioned has about half the members saying that there's going to be at least one hike, if not two, for a few of the members think there'll be multiple hikes next year, um, whereas you have then the other half of the um, of the committee currently thinks that there's there's no hikes so so how? given the fact that they have this you know pretty decent impulse for growth in 20 uh 22 and maybe and and going into 2023 although although maybe slowing just a little bit in 2023 you, you know wh- what do you think is is that aspirational that the the fed might actually hike in in 2022 or um do you think it's kind of a little bit unrealistic and and after you answer i have my own opinion on that 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 i'd <laughs> like to share with you to to see poke holes in in my view
2: yeah So first of all, I think the dot plot yesterday is um, quite puzzling to me because things don't really hang together. Um, So if you look at the GDP growth path and their unemployment rate uh, projections, they are all better than the long run neutral rate, right? So even uh, by 2024, GDP growth is still 2%, which is higher than the 1.8% for long run and unemployment rate is below the 4.0 long run rate uh, from 2022 onwards. And yet their inflation forecast for both headline and core are going down starting in 2022. So it will be 2.2 to Uh, 2.1. so while you have growth uh, going bonanza according to this projection, uh, yet your inflation is going down, um, and your rates, your 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 uh, the the Fed funds rate level for the median participant in 2024 is still substantially below uh, the neutral rate. So in 2024 they have 1.8 percent there, whereas the neutral rate is 2.5. So it's like so, first of all, it's puzzling. So, I'm not sure what I can draw from the the dot plot. But from Chairman Powell's um, q and I did, um, yeah, I did, I, I did, I could see why the stock market would fall, sort of fall, because it does come across as more hawkish than the statement or the dot plot. And I think. I think. First of all, uh, let me think. So, if I just take the dot plot as it is, uh, I think that their inflation forecast for twenty twenty two, which is two point two percent for PCE inflation, is going to be wrong. I, I think the supply. Is that
1: key- and wrong meaning too high or too low?
2: Too low, too low. So they. they so, yeah, too low. I think it's going to be closer to in between 2.5 to 3. That's my personal opinion. But the Fed obviously has very smart people, and I'm sure they have a lot of debate within. uh And, and also, uh, I, I, I mentioned the problem with this dot plot, this 2.2 median inflation for 2022. I, I don't know. I, I had expected a much uh, a larger upward revision. So. If, if um you know if that if higher inflation comes to pass in 2022 um the, the the with the tapering completing uh by June of 2022 then there's um you know there's space uh, for for the fed to rate uh, uh, to hike rates in the second half of 2022 uh even if they don't hiked the rates in 2022, the fact that they finish the tapering by June of 22 gives them the optionality to do that if inflation should turn out to be higher than that 2.2 in that so, dot
1: so, so really quick, so, so when we talk about inflation, and, and this is one of those <clears throat> One of those issues that I've been having with, in my own mind, but also with, with investors and and other market participants, and, and that's that you know a lot of the inflation that we're seeing right now is is not. A lot of it, a large portion of it, anyway, is not being driven by by necessarily by consumer demand, but a lot of like supply chain issues and a lot of you know goods uh, goods uh, issues. Whereas the the you know the, yes there are wage gains, but a lot of those wage gains are concentrated in a few sectors that actually have you know are. are Economic less sensitive to economic downturns right and and meanwhile that you have you do have this huge swath of the economy um the service sector in particular that still hasn 't rebounded and and Chair Powell continues to mention his you know the, the view that there's still a lot of wood to chop within the within the um, within the employment situation right now and and it seems to me that that 's going to take way more than a year plus to kind of iron a lot of those things out. So so, so, last question, because we're, we're running a little bit short on time here, is what, uh, you know, where do you think as a base case, you, you know, is, you know, are we going to pull forward, uh, you know, hikes, you know, into late 22? Um, you know, it's, I I very much doubt that they're going to, you know, end tapering, uh, that they're going to end asset purchases in June and then hike in September. I think that that's probably unlikely, although not completely out of the question, but, but he, let, let's say as a base case, like what's the probability of, of a hike in 22 versus them waiting until March or April, because, you know, let's face it over the next year, uh, year or so, any bump in the road is probably going to push that back. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where I, I think, you know, you have a couple of bad, you know, employment numbers in the middle of next year. And the next thing you know, that we're not pricing for a hike until mid 23 instead of yeah. late 22.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think given the information we have today, um, with no new shocks coming, um, a hike in late 2022 would be my base case. But I uh, but if you ask me, like objectively speaking, is a hike coming in late 2022? I don't think so. I agree with you. I think it will be in 2023, but not for the reason. That the, that the the chairman uh, is saying now, or whoa, 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 from what the information in the dot plot is saying, I think there will be a rate hike in 2022 because there'll be new shocks. I think the, the new shocks will be coming from a general China slowdown <clears throat> and then maybe softer commodity markets in the next year. Um, yeah. So and of I,
1: course I, with Ch- with China it could be, you know, mm-hmm. another, you know, cold trade war or something like that too, right? The, so there's a lot of other macro, uh, you know, macroeconomic and um and certainly geopolitical factors that that could go into that too, right? Or um I'm not so yeah. worried about a trade war with France, but it seems <laughs> like that's possible too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so with that, so that uh, thank you very much, Anna, for coming on. We'll definitely have you back on again in, in a, a couple of months. Uh, that was Anna Wong, the new chief uh, econ- U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. Anna, thanks for coming on the FIC Focus podcast. Thanks. And with that, we're going to turn over to our Fun Fed Facts segment with Angela Monolatos. Angela, what Fun Fed Fact do you have for us today?
0: Hey, so I know you guys talked a little bit about the dot plot, but um, I'm going stick, to stick with that discussion and go a little further and just uh, show – um, what it was and how it was kind of different from the June meeting, which was the last time we got a dot plot release. So, uh, as you said, um, this committee's kind of split on a 2022 on a 2022 hike, and we actually saw since there's 18 participants, um, the median is between two. Typically, you have the median fall uh, on a on a one eighth of a hike basis, but this time it fell at for 2022. So that just means that 50% of members think there's going to be, and 50% do not think that there will be. In 2023, we were pricing for a couple hikes. uh, Oh, not pricing, sorry. The dot plot in June was looking at a couple hikes. Now it's the median dot for 2023 is up to uh, 1%. And the cool thing about September is that September rolls into the next year of projections. So we got a 2024 dot in September, and that uh, also has the same thing as uh, 2022. It's between um, two numbers, and it fell at 1.75 or rounded to 1.8%. And if you look at some some market pricing uh, through the end of 2024, we're looking at around uh, five hikes being fully priced in, and this is using euro dollar futures and stripping out the basis from those. So um, perhaps not quite as uh, uh, there's perhaps a Fed um, median or median dot is a little bit higher than that, but it's in the right direction.
1: Great. Anything else from a fun Fed fact perspective today, Angelo?
0: Yeah. So, so just going going back to that, we we have seen that the uh, going back to market pricing, we have seen that the December 2022 euro dollar futures, which have been getting a bunch of attention, are now, again, fully pricing in a full interest rate hike. Um, and those are, like I said, those are December 22 futures that um, uh, are priced off of three-month LIBOR in December 2022. So it could be late 2022, um, where the market is anticipating a liftoff from the Fed. And that said, the Fed does have a meeting in mid-December 2022.
1: Great. Well, thanks very much, Angelo, for coming back on the FIC Focus podcast. With that, listener, thank you very much. On behalf of Anna, Angelo, I'm Ira Jersey. And if you have any topics that you'd like us to hit on this particular podcast, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. You can find all of Angelo's and my research at bi space rates, and you can find Anna's work at bi space eco. And with that, uh, until next time, be well.